2: Good morning. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the
3: stories we're following today.
2: Let's get right over to Ed Baxter in San Francisco with all the latest. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu saying that Israel's
4: retaliation will be aimed at Hamas, and it has only just started. Ed Baxter with that story. Ed? Yeah, that's exactly right, Brian. A television address, he began by saying that more than 900 Israelis, mostly civilians, have been killed. Promises that what he does now will echo through the generations. He's called for the opposition to form a coalition government to unite the fight. He's also called up 300,000 reservists and the largest call-up ever. Bloomberg's Ethan Bronner says the Prime Minister flatly said Israel will sweep across the entire Gaza Strip. This is not going to be a walk in the park. We are going to take this force down. We are going to do it in, in a way that for decades, he said, they will never be they will remember it. So, one thing. The second thing is, you know, we, the, to talk about the people who were taken hostage, to talk about the people who were slaughtered, to sort of focus on the pure evil, the Isis-like nature of this mm-hmm. uh, of this massacre. Meanwhile, the US has said uh, against Israel will have direct support. In every way possible. Bloomberg's Nick Wattams says that will include hardware and munitions. Well
2: I think what you're gonna see is the flow of some munitions to uh, Israel. We've already had uh, the U.S. announce over the weekend that it was moving uh, carrier strike group to the region to help uh, in defense of Israel, but you're gonna start seeing, uh, you know, artillery shells, precision guided bombs, things like that.
4: But Nick says already talked that munitions for Ukraine are already low. Uh, As there's a
2: big bipartisan move now to give Israel anything it wants, uh, but then to start also investigating why this attack was such a surprise. So Ukraine was very much in the focus as of uh, last week, and now obviously it is uh, not the highest priority for the Biden administration, and that's going to have an effect.
4: Yeah, and Nick mentions intelligence failures in Israel and the U.S. National Security Council coordinator John Kirby on MSNBC today said, too early to dissect that, but says they have found no direct link that Iran is behind the Hamas attacks.
2: No, we do not. We don't have any specific intelligence or evidence that points to direct participation by Iran in these particular sets of attacks over the last couple of days. That said, of course, uh, Iran has long supported Hamas and other terrorist networks uh, throughout the region with resources, capabilities, training, uh, and so in that regard, clearly Iran's complicit here.
4: And Kirby says uh, 11 U.S. citizens have been killed in Israel. Now, this does put some pressure on the U.S. as a house did pull aid for ukraine from the funding bill leading up to the mccarthy ouster kevin mccarthy out front and center today missed rumors that he might be interested in seeking to be elected again you have
0: 96 percent of the conference in one place and you're allowing four percent with the Democrats playing politics, but now of putting the doubt inside this body. That, that is wrong.
4: Donald Trump apparently is not now going to visit the Capitol tomorrow to meet with House Republicans, take part in deliberations on the next speaker. That's a Fox digital report. And the Hollywood screenwriters have officially ratified their contract. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. Brian? All right. Thanks very much,
2: Ed. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Rashad Salamat and Doug Krisner. Well, the attack on Israel by Hamas has the potential to disrupt the flow of oil in the Middle East. Israel's role in global oil supply is actually limited, but Iran has become a major source of extra crude. And there's a question looming on whether or not Tehran's proxies across the Middle East could be drawn into an escalating conflict and whether there would be additional American sanctions on Tehran. Here's Amrita Sen. At energy aspects,
1: it is only China that's buying it, and it's very hard for the U.S. to enforce um, any kind of sanctions, uh, given the route that Iran is right now taking to China. You might get a bit more a uh, vocal U.S. administration, and they had been they had turned a blind eye. Uh, you could definitely expect some more, uh, just a bit more scrutiny around those volumes.
2: Amrita Sen, Iran has denied that it was involved in the Hamas attacks on Israel, and U.S. National Security Council uh, spokesman John Kirby, as we mentioned earlier, said there is no direct evidence linking Iran to the attacks.
3: Well, the three biggest U.S. airlines have now halted flights to and from Israel. We have the story from Bloomberg's Tom Busby. Delta, United, and
2: American Airlines have all canceled all their flights to and from Tel Aviv. In response, the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration said in a statement, quote, operators are advised to exercise caution and review the security situation before resuming operations into and out of Israel. Now those U.S. airlines are not alone. Germany's Lufthansa... Air France KLM and the low-cost Hungarian carrier Wizz Air also canceled flights to Israel. In total, airlines worldwide canceled 44% of scheduled flights out of Tel Aviv on Sunday alone. Tom Busby, Bloomberg Radio. Wall Street's biggest banks have told staff in Israel to work from home after the attacks. We get more on that from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet.
3: Sources familiar with the plans tell Bloomberg, J.P. Morgan Chase, which has about 200 employees in Israel, and Morgan Stanley have asked their workers not to come into the office. Goldman Sachs and Bank of America also asked staff to stay home. And Bank of America closed its office in Tel Aviv as it continues to monitor the situation. At Citigroup, staff in Israel can work from home or in the office. In New York, Charlie Pellet. Bloomberg Radio. And we go to the latest Fed speak next. We heard today from Vice Chair Philip Jefferson. He is watching the increase in U.S. Treasury yields as a potential further restraint on the American economy.
4: My view is that the FOMC is in a position to proceed carefully in assessing the extent of any additional policy firming that may be necessary. We are in a sensitive period of risk management where we have to balance the risk of not having tightened enough against the risk of policy being too restrictive.
3: That is Fed Vice Chair Philip Jefferson. Now, since the Fed September meeting, the yield on the U.S. ten-year is up about 40 basis points. And recently, we have had Fed officials that would include San Francisco President Mary Daly and the head of the Dallas Fed, Laurie Logan, both noting that the recent tightening on financial conditions may be a substitute
2: for additional rate hikes. Brian. And you wonder how complicated uh, it might get with yields potentially dropping now here. We had Treasury futures up, and yields indicated about uh, 10 basis points lower on the 10-year than what we saw. But anyway, that's for the days to come. Well, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer led a delegation of U.S. senators in a meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping. The meeting in Beijing marked the first time that Xi met with senators uh, since 2015. At that time, he spoke with congressional leaders while on a visit to Washington. Senator Schumer briefed reporters after the meeting. The United States and China are at a historic decision point in the relationship between our countries. Our bipartisan Senate delegation spoke candidly with President Xi about a range of issues and our, pers- our respective priorities. We made clear to President Xi that America wants fairness and stability. At the foundation of the relationship must be a level playing field for American businesses and workers, as well as responsible competition. We make clear we don't think that level playing field exists right now. Schumer also said that Beijing revised its statement on the Middle East to condemn the loss of civilian life after he had requested a more forceful response. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Rashad Salamat, and our guest is Kirsten Fontenrose, president of Red Six Solutions and non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Kirsten, the Israeli cabinet minister, Ron Dermer, was on Bloomberg surveillance uh, earlier in the day, and he left no doubt that the Israeli response was going to be harsh. It was going to be aggressive and devastating. We haven't seen that yet, but should we expect it?
0: We should expect it. We should take them at their word. There have been 900 Israelis killed. There have been about 600 reported Palestinians killed, though the number is probably higher, and there have been 11 Americans killed. Other nations have also confirmed that they have lost citizens. So Israel is taking this extremely seriously, not only for their own security, but for what they feel they owe other nations who have lost people. Remember, this is the fifth attack on Israel by Hamas in just the 2000s. And Israel states that it intends to end this cycle this time. So the counteroffensive we are seeing now is just the beginning. And in addition to attacks by Hamas, both Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah, who are both also armed by Iran, have claimed attacks on their border with Lebanon. It says so far that it's hit more than 1,200 military targets in Gaza and that many more are planned and may not be limited to Gaza. Now continuing this does not necessarily mean it will all be strikes. They could use covert. They could use cyber. There are lots of tools at Israel's disposal, but they've made it very clear, I think they're trying to prepare the world this is not going to be over quickly
4: well it certainly won't be but let's look at um, you know, the, the, apart from the, the horrible human cost of all this what about actually where it leaves the geopolitical kind of framework of the middle east with uh, you know saudi arabia on the verge of perhaps doing a deal with israel at some sort of peace deal that's probably uh, just on the back
1: burner now
0: well, I think the deal is definitely on the back burner. I won't say it's dead. Many people are saying this is a win for Iran because that deal will be dead. I think it's a win for Iran in other ways. But like Israel, Saudi Arabia perceives Hamas and these other groups uh, that are also backed by Iran as a threat. And Saudi is not going to allow Hamas to dictate the speed of its long-term strategic goals for which a relationship with Israel is fairly necessary. It's just the time frame for normalization will definitely be impacted by the scope of Israel's response to this attack. Um, They say retaliation against Hamas is, you know, just beginning as we talked about it and it's going to continue. And their intent is to to establish deterrence against other anti-Israel groups from joining Hamas's operation. They also intend to minimize mass civilian casualties because those would make it politically impossible for Saudi Arabia and any other Arab or Muslim country to be in public talks with Israel about normalization. The difficulty for Israel here is that The residents of Gaza are in an extremely densely populated area, and Hamas Mm -hmm. has been using them as a human shield for their operational planning centers and for their arsenals. So that collateral damage is almost inevitable.
2: We just played those comments from Senator Schumer. Uh, He says that he chastised China for not expressing more sympathy to Israel uh, after the attacks. And I wanted to add that Bloomberg contributor Larry Summers scolded Harvard for staying silent on this. And that was after a student group said that it was Israel that was responsible for the Hamas attack. So my question to you, Kirsten, is whether or not there will be plenty out there that will sympathize. Uh, with Hamas after these attacks?
0: There absolutely will be, not only because of uh, groups that are making it clear that Hamas is a result of Palestinian sentiment about what is perceived as an Israeli uh, Israeli occupation of Gaza. It's more a blockade. They're not actually occupying Gaza. But what we're also seeing is media is interpreting what is happening on the ground in different ways. So we're seeing lots of media outlets, many of whom have the intent of simply maligning the U.S. even more than Israel. But because Israel is such a close partner with the U.S., this is an opportunity to kind of take them down with us. So you're seeing a lot of Chinese-sponsored, Russian-sponsored media outlets speaking negatively about Uh, U.S. stewardship in the region that has led to this situation on the ground in in Israel and the suffering of all of these Palestinians. Uh, There's going to be a lot of misinformation around this situation as this conflict moves on. And we're definitely going to see a galvanization of opinion on it. You know, who is responsible? So, I mean, let's
4: look down the road a little bit. I mean, you know, the, the, we, what's going on at the moment is the fog of war, et cetera, et cetera. But does this move the dial and perhaps lift up what has really fallen behind you know, uh, on the agenda? And that's uh, the peace process
0: great question. I think most of the U.S. government right now would definitely like to see this catalyze the peace process because it's been quite frozen. And this administration really has not made a play at a peace process answer of their own. The Saudis have refloated some ideas from the past, their Jordanian ideas. It it may be that this is the unfortunate you know, situation that will bring some of those to the forefront to be more seriously discussed. The first issue, though, is Israeli really internal political discussions that have to take place about how much they are willing to bring to that table yeah. at all.
2: Yeah. Well, Kirsten, I started off by talking about uh, Ron Durman, his comments about a harsh response. Would an immediate harsh response by Israel against Hamas in Gaza, would, would that Really bring Iran to the backing of Hamas, or might they back off a little bit and say, at the moment, this is your fight?
0: <laughs> the, the irony is that the regime in Tehran will gladly fight Israel to the last unwitting, innocent civilian Palestinian. So, as long as the fight is taking place in Israel's backyard using non Iranian fighters. There's no reason for Iran to back off. This is an inexpensive way for them to reduce Israel's military readiness to create problems for their strategic adversaries like the United States. Tehran is literally gleeful right now about what is going down. So I don't expect any back off. Half of the reason the U.S. is sending additional fighter jets and a carrier group out to the region is to deter Iran from encouraging any of its other proxies from joining the fray. We're hearing that Hezbollah is hedging a bit right now. Go ahead.
2: It it sounds like what you're saying is a broader war is to be expected here.
0: I think a broader war is what we are trying to prevent. So there's no reason right now we would expect Iran to pull back on continuing to arm or backing or encouraging the many groups they have around the region. I think we'll potentially see more activity out of Yemen or parts of Iraq while Iran believes the U.S. and the West is distracted.
3: Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130.
2: Plus, listen coast-to-coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis.
3: And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia.
1: The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th,